Oh boy, this is a juicy read. I'm about halfway through it. Uh, got it on my iPad. I'm enjoying it. I'm talking about Laptop from Hell by Miranda Devine. Hunter Biden, big tech, and the dirty secrets the president tried to hide. This is a sad family. This is a strange family, the Bidens. And also, most likely, a corrupt family, to be sure. So as I read the book, and there's a lot of things I can get into right now, I'm not going to get into this, but Hunter spends a lot of time sending the nastiest, meanest text messages and emails to his father. He's still upset about all kinds of stuff that happened way back when. Anyway, uh, maybe later in the week, but for now... I have a few questions answered for myself. You ever notice that President Biden spends a heck of a lot of time boasting about how close he is to President Xi of China? I mean, I would expect that they would know each other, but uh, for Joe Biden, he's taken it to the next level, always, always boasting about how much time they spent together. I've spent more time with Xi Jinping, at least before we got out, than any world leader has. I've traveled 17,000 miles with him, the president of China. I probably spent more time with Xi Jinping, I'm told, than any world leader has because I, I had 24, 25 hours of private meetings with him when I was vice president, traveled 17,000 miles with him, and know him pretty well. I've spent more time with President Xi of China than any world leader has for 24 hours of private meetings with him. I have spoken and spent more time with Xi Jinping than any other world leader has. I've had hours and hours and hours of meetings and personal conversations with Xi Jinping. I spent more time with him, I believe, than any other world leader has. Uh, 25 hours, 17,000, who cares? Why is he boasting? It's always something that I've, I've noticed and I found kind of weird. Well, I'm not the only one. Take a look from Miranda Devine's book. It goes like this. Why is he doing that? Well, over the years, Joe's repeated emphasis on the number of meetings, miles flown, and total number of hours he had spent with she, rather than on the substance of anything achieved, was mystifying to a domestic audience and mistook it for empty boasting. That was me mistaking it for empty boasting, but here's the deal. But the metrics reflect a distinctive Chinese sensibility. Wulun which refers to investment in a long-term relationship between a business and its client. All right, so Joe wasn't talking to us. He's talking to China and business people in China. That's what's happening here. Wulun, it's a, it's a real thing. Uh, describes the basic dynamic in personalized networks of influence, which can be best described as the relationships individuals cultivate with other individuals and is a central idea in Chinese society. Does it make sense now? He's boasting so much about President Xi, 17,000 miles, all that time, whatever. Um, I wonder what President Xi actually makes of Joe during those long conversations, but now it makes sense. And this is why Hunter made that trip on Air Force Two. Do you get it now? Do you get it? Air Force Two, China, there he is. I'm close to my son, of course. Get close to my son, get close to me, all right? And you get close to my son, you get close to me, and maybe you get close to Barack Obama. Hey, just a couple of guys at the basketball game. And consistently, if you ask Joe about any of this stuff, he blows his top. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business And so how do you know? Here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. 
He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader trying to intimidate a foreign leader, if that's what happened. That appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. Well, here's what I know. Joe is lying when he said he doesn't talk business with his son. We know that by now. Oh, it's very apparent in this book. But the anger is a defense mechanism. He uses it a lot, especially on this issue. How is your role as vice president in, uh, in charge of policy in Ukraine and your son's job in Ukraine, how is that not a conflict of interest? It's not a conflict of interest. There's been no indication of any conflict of interest from Ukraine or anywhere else, period. I'm not going to I'm not going to respond to that. Let's focus on the problem. Focus on this man, what he's doing that no president has ever done. No president. The anger. The anger is a weapon. I think he knows what he's doing. And it's thwarted people over the years from finding out the truth or actually even talking Joe into making the right decision. In the book, uh, Laptop from Hell, it goes like this. Some of Joe's advisors were worried that Hunter, by meeting with the business associate during his father's visit, China, would expose the vice president to criticism over whether he was leveraging access for his benefit. You think? But it goes on. Now, whether they discussed their concerns with the vice president, several of them said that they had been too intimidated to do so. Everyone who works for him has been screamed at, a former advisor said. Others said they were wary of hurting his feelings. Um, so you know you're onto something when you ask about these things and Joe flips his lid. Uh, again, we can go into the Devin Archer angle and all that stuff. It gets complicated, but here's another juicy part that's sad, but it's kind of interesting and I think it needs to be discussed. It would be discussed in any other family. Heck, what would they have done to the Trumps if this scenario played out? Take a look at two couples, all right? We've got Hunter Biden with his then-wife, Kathleen, and the late Beau Biden with Haley, his wife, at the same event. Well, you know what happened, right? Beau died, sadly, tragically, of brain cancer several years ago. And then Hunter and Haley became an item, all right? They started... Uh, they started seeing each other, uh, and it was pretty hot and heavy. Now, according to the book, uh, well, they take a look at when this arrangement started. It could have started possibly right after the funeral, the day after the funeral. It's a possibility, okay? Now, they put out a statement saying that, oh, it was a year and a half later that they became a, uh, a couple. Doesn't look that way. Again, the day after the funeral. Potentially, potentially. So if this happened to any family, right? Uh, a guy going out with his dead brother's wife, it's really, it's sad, right? I mean, dirty laundry to be sure. How did the Bidens spit it? How did Joe and Jill Biden spin this very twisted arrangement? They loved it. That's what they told us. And here's another example of how we know the Bidens are liars. We are lucky that Hunter and Haley found each other as they were putting their lives together again after such sadness. They have mine and Jill's full and complete support, and we are happy for them. No family in the world would be happy for this arrangement, and that statement is a lie. And the arrangement was pretty sad, pretty sad. Uh, what comes through in this book is that Joe Biden is a uh, pretty corrupt guy, and... Uh, 
who was able to call it out when the evidence is everywhere? The media wouldn't. Uh, very few would. Donald Trump, though, he wasn't afraid. Bond, if and this then we're have stuff is true question. about Russia, Ukraine, China, other countries, Iraq, if this is true, then he's a corrupt politician. Right. So don't give me the stuff about how you're this innocent baby. Joe, they're calling you a corrupt politician. Nobody. Hey, President Trump, the I want to stay on. All right. He called him a corrupt politician. He did. He said, that's what it looks like. And this laptop, the laptop from hell. So the moderator desperately tries to put the conversation back to race. Doesn't work. Joe Biden has something to say about the laptop. Are you ready? There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the care. Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly it. what is this that's where you're exactly going? What this is told. where he's going. So it's been uh, over a year. And they have not disputed the authenticity of this laptop. There's no comment. There's this, there's that. The CIA guys that Joe Biden was talking about, it's true that they wrote a letter and they tried to say that this was uh, Russia misinformation. But the swamp being the swamp, they knew the deal and they gave themselves a big out. In that letter that Joe Biden is so proudly touting, I'm not corrupt, just ask these guys. They say this in the fine print. We want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails are genuine or not and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. How about that, huh? How about that? So look, Joe Biden is in the White House right now. They have a great communications team. They have the power, the resources to dispute this book, to, and the book has been in the works for a long time. Why didn't they do anything about it, huh? This book is being distributed by Simon & Schuster. Miranda Devine is a prestigious, well-established journalist. This laptop is essentially has now been verified. It's been verified. How about that? What would Joe say now? What would, what's Joe going to say in the next debate if he makes it that far? Here's something. I'll end with this regarding the book, at least for now, that I found very sad, but also very revealing about the character of the Bidens. Okay. So it goes back to when Joe is a uh, Hunter's a little boy. In his 2007 memoir, Joe Biden wrote that he once asked Hunter when he was a boy, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be important, Hunter responded. The tragedy for Hunter and the danger for his father was that he never felt important enough. But how about that, uh, that ambition, huh? I want to be important. So this got me thinking, what was Joe's reaction when your eight-year-old son says his ambition in life is to be important? Because in my book, that's not a worthy goal. You want to make contributions. You want to add value. You don't go seeking the recognition first, though. And that's what's happening here. So I looked up his uh, 2007 memoir. What did Joe say? Did he say anything? And there's the story. In the middle of one of our hangaround days, I put the question to him. So, Hunter, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be important. I knew what he meant. That's it. The chapter ends there. I knew what he meant. He didn't sit down and tell, and tell Hunter there are more important things in life to aspire uh, to than, than being recognized on the street.
And that is really sad. And that might be Joe Biden's greatest failure. I don't know. Well, that in Afghanistan. Next, these raids on big businesses, beautiful stores and small mom and pop shops happening all over the place. I saw this one coming after Black Lives Matter year. We'll be right back. Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can, All I can say, say is, is that, that the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't get it, and they don't get their responsibility for so many bad things that have been happening in America, like this stuff. These smash-and-grab robberies that have been happening all over the place, the media, they have a huge amount of responsibility here. That's in Nordstrom and Walnut Creek, California, being hit. Next, the Louis Vuitton in San Francisco, uh, look at this. This is, uh, you want to call it looting? I, I, I could call it looting. Organized robbery, organized crime. Wellsprings Pharmacy, Oakland, California. Check that out. How about the Alta Beauty uh, Center in Chicago? It's just been going on and on and on. And uh, look, this is what... <laughs> This was bound to happen after a year of demonizing, stigmatizing, and trying to cancel the police department. Now, the media, they are covering this stuff, but they're not covering the why. Why did it happen? They'll tell you what's going on, but they won't even go there as far as why. The chaotic and increasingly dangerous crime sprees are now unfolding in more cities. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Minneapolis. On some of the busiest shopping days of the year, flash mobs with upwards of 80 people armed with hammers and crowbars are smashing and grabbing their way through high-end retailers as terrified shoppers and employees are threatened with their lives. A mom-and-pop jeweler was robbed of $250,000 in goods in three minutes. Another retailer nearby is now spending $30,000 a month on 24-7 security. For far too many, the most joyful time of the year is quickly becoming the most dangerous. But what about the why? Why is this happening? They don't make the correlation, the obvious one, to last year. A whole campaign that delegitimized, stigmatized cops and handcuffed them. And now, what do people do on the street? They don't help cops. They take out their phones and try to catch them making the slightest mistake or maybe just doing their jobs and somehow portraying as excessive force. And then they can find themselves disciplined by the department or even sued or even arrested. By the way, uh, these robberies, uh, some of them have been fatal. Uh, a security guard in San Jose, Kevin Nishida, 56 years old, was killed during one of those robberies. And uh, it's avoidable. It was avoidable. That ridiculous, false narrative that the police were the problem last year led to what we're seeing right now. Uh, in 2020, big city mayors, they were all about defund. Remember that? Defund the cops. The mayor of Oakland last year. We also 
absolutely believe we need to invest more in non-law enforcement methods of safety. I think we would all love to get our cities to such a state of safety that you know, government intervention, particularly an armed response, is no longer necessary. Okay, no force necessary. We're just gonna have, we're just gonna totally fundamentally change human nature and uh, we won't even need police. Okay, and let's get money from that department into other areas. Well, her city has seen a lot of crime, a lot. And fortunately, she's changed her tune, although she never should have sung this one, but this is more recent. Let me be clear, Oakland needs more police. We have been impacted by staffing reductions. COVID interrupted our recruitment and training processes. And the defund rhetoric is challenging our ability to attract and retain recruits. Well, step in the right direction, a major one. <laughs> defund rhetoric is challenging. Imagine that. Imagine that. Folks, I want to talk once again, if you don't mind, I'm sorry about Governor Cuomo. Governor Andrew Cuomo. Now, there are a lot of reasons to not like Governor Cuomo. And I listed him on the show early last year. I was frustrated with how he was handling COVID. I could not believe he turned that hospital ship away and he got $5 million for a book in the middle of the COVID crisis. I thought he should have resigned way back last year. A lot of reasons to not like Cuomo, but this whole he's a predator, he was sexually harassing uh, people at the office, I think that's a big fat lie. I really do. A politically motivated hit job. Again, I got big problems with him, but if he can go down for sexual harassment, it makes a hell of a lot of other people very, very vulnerable. Now, his chief accuser was a woman named Lindsay Boylan. Now, lots of reporters in New York have dealt with her, and they find her... Uh, rather inconsistent, crazy uh, behind the scenes, all right? But she was portrayed as a hero in all of this. Uh, glowing pieces from the New Yorker to the New York Times. Lindsay Boylan reflects on the women who risked everything to come forward. Well, uh, there are some major problems with her story. Number one, everybody seems to know that she was a big time problem at the office, all right? And that she herself had been accused of sexually harassing people, and she seemed to have a thing for the governor. When she left the office, she tweeted the following, okay? How much she uh, appreciated working for the governor. Proud to work for a governor who takes women seriously. New York Governor Cuomo. That was in the middle of Me Too when she put that statement out. So a couple of months ago when they're investigating Cuomo for all of this, they're talking to her. And again, she's the lead accuser and she got so much great publicity, but they had to point out this one tweet that seems to undermine everything else she's saying. I mean, come on, like, why does it matter that I, what is this? I'm just going to ask you. I mean, I, hon I honestly, like, this kind of pisses me off. I, I, the governor of the state of New York, and you're 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 asking me to explain why I tweeted that I was proud to work for him, and I'm I I I, I don't understand it. I just want to give you a chance to, to to what what is it? Is this about me, or is this about the governor? Does, what is it that you need to explore about my tweet saying that I was proud to work there? 
think of it like gymnastics. You work your whole life to get to the Olympics. There is no other Olympics. There's nowhere else to go. And if you get out and you piss them off, you're dead. And all of your hard work is gone. Why, why am I explaining my, my tweet about working there? How is this new to you? I'm not trying to upset you. I, 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 it is upsetting. It is upsetting. It's victim blaming. Using all the right language of the moment. Uh, well, the tweet is very relevant. <laughs> Obviously, it's relevant. And the explanation about gymnastics um, in the Olympics, look, this is politics. There are like uh, 535 members of Congress to go work for. I don't know. There are plenty of other places to go. Very strange. The whole damn case is strange. Another of his chief accusers, a woman named Charlotte Bennett, who also reportedly made a false accusation against someone for similar things back when she was in college. Now, uh, they submitted all of their text messages and everything, and one of the text messages said the following to her girlfriend. Uh, she's like, oh, boy, you're going to talk about what's going on in the office, blah, 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 blah. Charlotte Bennett's response is in blue. I literally will talk. Give me $300,000 now. That's really, whoa. <laughs> uh, all right, well, she didn't cry when she was asked about this, but her answer, well, you tell me. She writes, they, they just must be terrified that you're going to talk. And then in response, she says some other stuff. You write, I literally will talk. Give me $300,000 now. Exactly. That's what I tried to say, but I was just so caught off guard. Um, what were you talking about there? So the, I literally will talk, give me $300,000 now was a joke because part of my fear of like meeting was that they would ask me to sign something. And I was going back and forth with my partner, with my, like, I was like in my, I was like, like, are they going to make me sign an NDA? And like, it was kind of this like ongoing, like, I, I didn't, it was like a, a real thing that I thought they were going to pull and that I was mad that like, I will, I will share my story and I am. And that like, you know, all right. Obviously. Can you make out what she's talking about? The joke, the joke is not funny. Um, it's very strange. It's very weird. And it's okay to point these things out, folks. Just like in the report where she's saying she's being sexually harassed by Governor Cuomo, he's asking all kinds of inappropriate questions. The governor also asked Miss Bennett if her last relationship had been monogamous. At one point during this conversation, Miss Bennett tried to change the topic. She was uncomfortable with that. By discussing a tattoo that she wanted to get for her birthday. Now she's uncomfortable with the monogamy stuff, so she changes the question to a tattoo that she wanted to get for her birthday. Something is totally wrong with these accusations, all right? If you want to get off uh, one topic, I don't know, you, right? We can use our common sense here. This story doesn't add up. And I'm going to use my common sense when it comes to the horns guy on Capitol Hill. Remember him? He was just sentenced to uh, like three and a half years in prison. That's not right. He didn't break anything and he didn't hurt anybody. But the good news for now, he's got a new lawyer and they're going to try to turn that around fast. We'll be right back. A liberty-loving American takes on Washington, Hollywood, 
and the whole media establishment. He's Chris Salcedo. Join his fight. Tune in to the Chris Salcedo Show every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. Who's the opposite? Do you want your house back? Take it! January 6th, remember the Horns guy, Jacob Chansley, in my opinion, unfairly sentenced to a ridiculous prison term, 41 months in jail. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't break anything. I am so glad to find out that he is appealing this in a big way with a new lawyer. Fired his old lawyer. He's got a new one. And uh, guess who it is? It's the same one of the attorneys who handled the uh, Rittenhouse case. His name is John Pierce. And uh, let's uh, let's wish him luck because, you know, the shaman, the horns guy, again, didn't break anything, didn't hurt anybody, and actually said out loud, hey, let's be peaceful. We're going to be heard. Everybody, this must be peaceful. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. I really, I think, I think these guys were set up right after that. The cop he's talking to said, you want to go to the Senate? Right this way. He was escorted into that Senate chamber. It is so weird, and we don't know, we really don't know what happened. Who is behind it? I want to find out. Hey, speaking of Rittenhouse, Kyle Rittenhouse, did you hear he was taking online courses at Arizona State University? Well, some of the crazy kids there at ASU have totally freaked out, lost their minds, and they're demanding what they call a uh, racist, cold-blooded murderer be expelled immediately. And they all had some other wild demands. Now, by the way, he was acquitted. This is no murderer. Uh, the students there from the Socialism Club had these other demands. Withdraw Kyle Rittenhouse from ASU immediately. Release a statement against white supremacy. Ay, ay, ay. And reaffirm the support for their multicultural center, which I've actually seen and you've seen too. It's just a room where they don't like white men showing up. What? You guys have the same sticker as the other. But this is our space. We've got a Police Lives Matter sticker and we're getting kicked out. Can't do school. Nobody's you, you just said we have to leave. No, I said you're making this space uncomfortable. uncomfortable. But you're white. Do you understand what a multicultural space? It means you're not being centered. White's not a culture? No. No, it's not a culture. All right, well, good luck to ASU. Kyle Rittenhouse, I think there's some other better schools you can go to. Technically, he's just taking online courses. We'll, we'll see what happens. Good luck to Kyle Rittenhouse and to ASU. they got to get their act uh, straightened out. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden and the mess. Uh, what a phony. We all know this by now. How many times will he be caught not wearing a mask, but when the cameras are on, there he is all masked up. You saw him in Nantucket. I heard about this, and then I finally saw it. There he is. Face covering required in that little shop, but he's walking around without a mask. It's all a game. It's all a show. Something very strange is going on. Uh, but Joe Biden told us to mask up even when we're inside. You urged Americans to wear masks in indoor public spaces, but many states and cities, including Washington, D.C., have lifted mask mandates. So are you calling on state and local officials to reinstate mask mandates? Uh, with regard to the last question, the answer is uh, I, uh, I encourage everyone to uh, wear a mask when they're indoors in a crowded circumstance like we are right now. Um, and unless you're eating or speaking at a microphone. 
The whole thing is so ridiculous, huh? All right, like right now, unless you're speaking to him. What difference does that really make if masks are so whatever? Oh, but regarding that moment in the Nantucket gift shop where it says wear a mask and he's not wearing a mask, uh, that Ducey guy, he's pretty good, asked Jen Psaki about it. We saw the president shopping indoors on Saturday behind glass that says face covering required, but his face was uncovered. Why? Uh, the president is uh, somebody who follows uh, the, the recommendations and the advice of the CDC. I don't know what the circumstances were of that particular moment. He was shopping in a store, and on the glass outside it said face covering required, and we could see him inside, and his face was uncovered. Well, again, Peter, our recommendation and advice continues to be for people to wear uh, masks when they are required in establishments. I don't know what this establishment was. The president obviously follows the health, the advice of his health and medical is, team. Is there concern that when the president says today, please wear your mask indoors in public settings around other people, and he doesn't do that, that it's going to make it harder to get people to follow him? I think you see the American people and all of you see the president wearing a mask every time he comes out to an event, when he's sitting in meetings and certainly he will continue to model behavior. He hopes the American people will follow, not for his benefit, but to save their own lives and the lives of their friends and neighbors. Save our own lives and the lives of our friends and neighbors with those little ridiculous masks. Well, uh, we've all seen Joe lose his mask, forget his mask, not wear his mask, take it off, shake people's hands, cough in his mouth. Joe is uh, no example on that and so many other things. Uh, oh, when we come back, Gordon Chang, China expert, Dinesh D'Souza as well, weigh in on this weird boasting that Joe Biden does about his relationship with President Xi. What is really up with that? Something perhaps quite sinister. Be right back. So right now it's the top book, number one bestseller on Amazon, laptop from Hell. Hunter Biden, the laptop, and the dirty secrets the president tried to hide. So something that comes up in this book is the relationship between Joe Biden and President Xi of China. I noticed this a while back, but I never really said anything out loud. Joe has a way of boasting about how close he is with the president of China. He does it in a unique and I believe strange way. I've spent more time with Xi Jinping, at least before we got out, than any world leader has. I've traveled 17,000 miles with him, the president of China. I probably spent more time with Xi Jinping, I'm told, than any world leader has because I, I had 24, 25 hours of private meetings with him when I was vice president, traveled 17,000 miles with him, and know him pretty well. And he goes on like that, non like that, non like that. Well, in the book, Miranda Devine writes this. Over the years, Joe's repeated emphasis on the number of meetings, miles flown, and total number of hours he had spent with Xi, rather than on the substance of anything achieved, was mystifying. So I wasn't the only one. To a domestic audience that mistook it for empty boasting. Aha, but there's this. But the met uh, I'm sorry, but the metrics reflect a distinctive Chinese sensibility. Wulun, which refers to investment in a long-term relationship between a business and its client. And a little bit further on Wulun, um, it describes the basic dynamic in personalized networks of influence. It is a central idea in Chinese society. I think that's very, very interesting. Joe is sending a message, it looks like, not to America, but to businessmen in China to get close to Hunter. 
Hunter might just be the key to all of this. I'd like to bring in the panel. We have with us uh, Dinesh D'Souza, host of the Dinesh D'Souza podcast. He's also, of course, a great filmmaker and conservative thinker. And Gordon Chang, author, most recently of The Great U.S.-China Tech War. And you can follow both of these men on Twitter, at Gordon Chang, uh, Gordon G. Chang, rather, and at Dinesh D'Souza. Gentlemen, welcome. Um, Gordon, did you find it odd when Joe Biden would speak about President Xi and emphasizing, you know, the miles flown and all the hours spent? I not only found it odd, I found it offensive. Um, because here we're talking about a monster, a person who is responsible for killing millions with COVID-19, with fentanyl, who has tried to break apart his neighbors, you name it. Um, Joe Biden, if he felt that he had this great relationship with Xi Jinping, probably should have tried to do something to prevent these crimes. That's wild. And how about where we're taking it, and the book seems to be taking it, that uh, he didn't do what you just said, but he seems to have another priority, which is business for Hunter, uh, and telegraphing that, look, this is how close I am with you guys. See Hunter for details. Yes, and also there's another Chinese word, guangxi, which is really describes the relationships that one builds up over time, which really is an intended to say, look, you know, we've done business with each other. We know each other. We're family. And so therefore we can deal with each other. And, and that's really what I think Biden is trying to convey with this, to tell the world, look, you know, um, I, I can handle this guy, but obviously he can't because Xi Jinping has been handling Biden. And apparently they've got these inappropriate relationships with his son, Hunter. Uh, I want to play this sound before we get to you, Dinesh. Uh, this book is based on the laptop. And we all remember Joe saying that this is uh, Russian disinformation in the debate in 2020, the second debate. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now no. another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly be. what, is this that's where exactly you're what This is told. where he's going. So... That was over a year ago, Dinesh. Uh, the White House, they have a pretty big communications team. They have not since disputed the authenticity of this laptop. I think we have confirmation now that this book has been published. Your thoughts, please. Well, first of all, isn't it interesting that we haven't heard a word from those 50 intelligence chiefs, supposedly sophisticated people with access to insider information, um, they made these allegations about the laptop. The laptop is manifestly Hunter Biden's laptop. Uh, there's been all kinds of internal and external corroboration of that. Uh, you know, I'm, I grew up in India, and I'm part of this larger Asian culture, which is based upon familial relationships. It's less transactional. People will often do business because of who they know. And the Chinese have a long history in the Asia-Pacific region uh, of cultivating politicians, particularly politicians in democratic societies, because they know that those guys aren't paid all that well and are very easy to corrupt. And so what the Chinese do is they lavish favors uh, on the families uh, of political leaders from whom they expect benefits. Uh, now, I think Biden, uh, with full awareness, moved into this arrangement. 
In fact, he saw before his own administration how Hillary Clinton, the Clintons, through the Clinton Foundation, they created the foundation as a mechanism for massive self-enrichment. And Biden figured, well, listen, I'll do the same thing, but in a slightly different framework. I'll use my family as bagmen. And so Hunter Biden has been kind of the point man, but they've also used James Biden, Frank Biden, other me even the son-in-law. Other members of the Biden family are all part of this Biden family racket. They're writing letters, getting Chinese officials, relatives into uh, schools, prestigious schools in America. It is wild. Gordon, you know, before I just thought this was, uh, you know, corruption. Now I really do see it as our national security, without a doubt, must be compromised. Uh, I feel more vulnerable having read this book. What do you think? Well, that's certainly true. And the other thing that we don't talk about is that Hunter Biden, by his own admission, is a troubled individual. He's been to China. If he's done anything compromising there, the Ministry of State Security will have evidence of it. And the Chinese could use that against the dad, because dads always protect their children. And so this has become a national security issue, as you say, Greg, because the president of the United States is probably subject to blackmail. Gordon Chang, we thank you uh, very, very much. And Dinesh D'Souza, Dinesh, if you don't mind, uh, when's the next movie? You've done some great ones. Uh, are, are you working on something? I'm working on something for next year. I'm going to hold back what the topic is about. But let's just say that there's, in this administration, no shortage of material, is there? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Dinesh D'Souza, check out his podcast and uh, please check out his Twitter as well. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, at Dinesh D. Souza. D'Souza, and also uh, Gordon Chang. Gordon, forgive me, is your middle, do you have a G in the middle? Gordon G. Chang that, is? That's right, it's Guthrie. Okay. My mom was Scottish. Excellent, at Gordon G. Chang. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. To be continued, we'll be right back. Wow, we miss Rush Limbaugh, don't we? Of course, of course. But hey, we got James Golden. Fortunately, he's on the radio and he's got a new book. It's called Rush on the Radio, a tribute from his sidekick for 30 years. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. James, Bo, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm great. Great to be with you, radio mate. That's true. Uh, uh, <laughs> you're doing great, by the way, uh, with your own show. Listen, how much of an adjustment was it, though, to take that mic full time for yourself uh, with no rush? To me, you did a it was seamless. What's it like without rush? Oh, man, it, it, you know, everybody misses Rush that that grew up listening to Rush. That's listened to Rush. What the 33 years he was doing the syndicated show. You know, you can't get his take and his take was always a unique take. You could think you would know what he was going to say on any given issue, but he would always come up with something that was unexpected, something that leave you would leave you saying, wow, I wish I had thought of that before. Um, and so he's so deeply missed. Uh, for me, doing the radio show is sort of seamless. I've done it before. So it's good to be back home behind the microphone myself. But I tell you, life in the political world without Rush Limbaugh is a lonely life. We miss him, and he would shape the conversation. And, you know, his critics could never figure this out. He did everything with humor. Uh, not everything, but he did it, use it quite effectively. His show was so entertaining, he could make politics entertaining. That's one of the secrets 
as I see it. How about you? You're absolutely right. Rush Limbaugh brought to uh, the radio platform a unique sense of irreverent humor, a humor that could be really sort of cutting edge, but it was not mean-spirited. He saw satire in much of what goes on of the political theater we see coming out of Washington, D.C. He also had fun with it. He was an optimist, and he always re remained very optimistic about the future of this uh, country, regardless of who was in charge, be it a Democrat or a Republican. And one of the things he used to say was his career wasn't, um, wasn't based on who was in the White House or who was in office. He was doing what he did because he was enjoying the broadcasting of it. He enjoyed his profession. He enjoyed being the best, actually, at what he did. He put in so many long hours every day doing show prep to make sure that once he got on the air, it was just flawless and smooth. 30 years, you're, how did you guys meet? How did that come about? I met Rush the very first day he was coming into the ABC building, right when the show was starting. Um, by happenstance, I knew one of his broadcast partners, who was the former uh, president of ABC um, Radio Networks, Ed McLaughlin, that was EFM Media. So I met Rush uh, long before I started, well, shortly before I started working on the show. Now, part of the deal when he came to WABC was that WABC would provide the call screener and the engineer. So eventually, after a few months of him being there, I was rotated on his show. And I'll tell you, we just clicked. And so that was uh, part of the magic. Well, it totally worked. And you're working fabulously right now on WABC and other stations as well. Hey, um, this is the moment where Rush got the, uh, the Medal of Freedom. I want to play it, and then I want to ask you about, well, I'll ask you right now, and then we'll watch it. Was Rush surprised, or was he, uh, did he know this was coming? I thought, he looked shocked to me, but let's take a quick look. All right, yeah. and just before that, the president made the announcement, and he was like, he was, he, was he acting, or was he, did he? No, that wasn't acting. He was, I think he was surprised that the president was doing it right then. He knew that there was going to be an award, from what I understand. But I don't think anyone expected the president to have the first lady give the award right there on the spot. And how Donald Trump is that? Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, gave Rush the highest civilian award and made sure almost ele every elected Democrat in Washington, D.C. was there. Yeah. <laughs> it was genius. Well-deserved, but a genius move by the president. Rush on the radio, a tribute from a sidekick for 30 years by James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley. Bye-bye. Greg, thank you so much for having me. You bet. Thank you for your support, everybody. Spread the word. We're going places. See you tomorrow night.